Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Smile. I'm Simone Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. And it's just the two of us chickens tonight. It is. It is. So, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we will have more information by the time everyone listening hears this episode in about, I don't know, like 14 hours. But at the time that we're recording this, things are still pretty up in the air election-wise in the United States. So Brianna, understandably, has been up and doing her job and uh, stressed. And we were like, do not do not worry. Do not sweat it, girl. Exactly. Exactly. Words of wisdom from us. Um, so yeah, we we are recording this at 9:30 p.m. on Wednesday, November 4th. So uh keep that in mind as we discuss the election. Um, we are still waiting for final results to come in, so I'm not going to call anything here. Uh, however, we are going to be talking about how the some of the big tech platforms handled the election, as well as results of Prop 22 in California, which is something we covered on previous episodes. Um, and we're going to keep it nice and snappy. And I do, I am way less uh, <laughs> friggin' upset than I was four years ago. I'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I reserve yeah. the right to potentially be upset later. Uh, no, but. totally. <laughs> I mean, it, but it's different. I mean, I think that Look, this this didn't go, I think, the way that anybody would have wanted it to. Nope. <laughs> However, this ends up, this is a lot closer and, and shows that as a country, the United States is still extremely divided. Mm-hmm. But, you know, four years ago, I mean, I don't know, last night I was I was kind of saying I mentioned this on Overtired, which I recorded before the election. Like I recorded that like Tuesday morning. Mm. And then, um, you know, we're now recording this Wednesday night, you know, that I had like PTSD from election day four years ago. And I don't want to like discount any people who've had like very real trauma, but I actually am not being flip when I say that. Like I even noticed last night, I don't know if you did, but watching the stuff come in, like I started feeling my heart constrict, my chest, con- my, my heart rate mm-hmm. go up, my, my chest constrict. You know, I started feeling like bad, like, you know, panic attack type of, of, of mm-hmm. symptoms just as things started to come in because it reminded me so much of four years ago. We are going to work on your news addiction, not starting now because now is, you know, of all the times to be connected and see things. Uh, Now would not be the time to cut you off cold turkey. However, uh, yeah, my election, I very intentionally, because I, just for my habits over the last few weeks, I knew that just doom scrolling on Twitter would not be good for me. So I logged out of Twitter on Monday night um, and I ended up and the the, the way I have my <laughs> because the Facebook page I go to most often is just my messages inbox. So if I just type F.A. into my search bar, it'll automatically autofill the inbox of like my friend. And then at that point, it's like, oh, no, I'm not going to go to my news feed. I'm here. <laughs> so I did not read any news yesterday. I drank a lot of wine and I watched the Netflix adaptation of Rebecca because that felt like the most productive use of my time. <laughs> and it freaking was, Christina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I Okay, let's talk about that for a second before we get into our yeah. tech news. I'm very much of the opinion that, that 
new rule, and, and it should be an old rule that we should know about. No one ever gets to remake Alfred Hitchcock movies ever again. Holy crap. It was so bad. <laughs> right? Thank you. I feel like, like this could be the whole episode, but legitimately every single choice made me scream. And, and this is why I, I chose it, because I knew, like, okay, this is going to make me mad, but it's going to be, like, a fun mad, and it's going to be a kind of, I won't say a productive mad, but it's going to be something where it's like, I'm mad, but there's no stakes to this. And I have wine and I'm looking at these pretty people in a terrible, terrible, terrible. movie. And it, w- it was truly the perfect counter programming for the election. Absolutely. No, it, it, it is it is great, fantastic trash. Like it is a bad movie, but with very pretty people and and definitely something to watch with with wine and perfect counter programming, as you say. I will say, honestly, if you don't need to counter program for something like, you know, keeping your mind off of the state of the world, which regardless of where you live and what you're going through, is a pretty valid thing to go through right now. But if that's not what you need, I do not recommend watching this movie even for just like the badness. Like, I don't think that it's that bad to the point where it becomes entertaining. I, I feel like right. it's, I think it's a good counter programming point, but it is it is objectively just it is bad. And honestly, look, I know that he's problematic. I don't actually care. He's been dead for a really long time. He is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. That is indisputable. And Every attempt to remake a Hitchcock film has just been mm. awful. And and like going back to Gus Van Sant's very famous uh, shot-by-shot remake of Psycho in 1998, which... which like, I don't even understand why you would embark on you. in the first place. Uh, agreed. It was a vanity project that he somehow got $60 million to do and big-name stars. Ugh. I mean, it ruined, it ruined Vince Vaughn's career. Like, it took until Wedding Crashers yeah. for Vince Vaughn to get over that. And Vince Vaughn was hot at that moment. Like, he was really hot. It ruined his career. And Hayes never really recovered. Um, and, uh, but, but this is just like another example. It's like, look, it would be like, I think if people were to, like, cause this is going to happen within our lifetime, people are going to, to think about maybe remaking Steven Spielberg films and mm. we will all openly be like, why would you do that? And I have the same question about Hitchcock. Why would you remake Hitchcock? Just, just leave it. It's perfect as it is. And it, it's perfect, like, for what it stands for in that moment in time. I, I see the argument for remaking it because of the the ending that was changed. People who are... I, will, I won't spoil Rebecca, even though it's been out for, like, a, I can't do math, but since the 40s. But because of the the Hayes Code restrictions that meant they had to change the ending, I could see it being remade. And because of, like, there is a route where you could do, like, a modern take on Rebecca where it really is about, like, that abusive relationship and leaning into that and, like, having her stay with him because she's afraid for her life. But they didn't do that. (laughs) But they didn't do that, right. And, I mean, look – I could see, look, there are arguments to be made because Rebecca is an adaptation and you could say, well, someone else could do an adaptation. And and look, most of, actually a fair number of Hitchcock's films were adaptations. So you could sort of make that argument. I still kind of go against it for the same reason that, for instance, I, I, I tweeted about this um, a couple weeks ago and I was half kidding, um, but I was like, somebody, some studio is going to try to remake The Silence of the Lambs. <sighs> and it, and that is, to me, a perfect film. Um, it, it is absolutely perfect. Is, Don't Hannibal, do it. the TV show exists. 
It does. Like, that's and, and where it, I feel like it can be done. Like, if it's agreed. for a different-ish medium, and yes. And even there, what actually was interesting what happened is they did try to get permission to do the Clarice stuff in Hannibal, the TV show, and they were not allowed, which mm-hmm. is good. And I think is yeah. the correct choice because, I look, I'm all about different interpretations, and you can sometimes do interesting adaptations. But even Todd Haynes, who's one of the greatest, like, art house kind of directors, you know, he and 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 Kate Winslet did um, uh, Mildred Pierce for HBO and it oh. didn't really work. It didn't really work. It was a miniseries, but that's also an adaptation of, of, of a novel and it didn't really work. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, that's you're talking about actually talented people, which yeah. is not the case with Rebecca. And and it still didn't come together because the, the brilliance of Mildred Pierce on that adaptation is like Joan Crawford's performance and and the melodrama mm-hmm. and that whole thing and the black and white aspect and as good as Kate Winslet is it just it didn't carry over and so I, part of me is almost like You're totally right when things are, when things are too institutionalized even if you can redo it like culturally it's just not going to work so anyway that yeah, was yeah, that was ten it- minutes. Sorry, go it on. Truly is yeah, and I could literally I could go on, but we <sighs> you're right. We are stopping now. Uh, we are moving on to the tech discussions <laughs> that bring our listeners back week after week. I was week. gonna say, I was gonna say this this is uh this is the, the Christina and Simone like pop culture after show. But girls gone just, wild. Exactly. Ugh. Brie keeps us in check. <laughs> mm. I if I if I still want to make the observations I want to make, I'll bring them up in my what I'm doing this week. Because what I will be doing is thinking about everything Rebecca did wrong. Okay. Tech platforms during the election. So dear listeners. If you care to remember, we had an election in 2016, and it was a complete mess, and it was the catalyst for a completely changed attitude towards social media. Like, before the 2016 election, their opinions were a lot more mixed towards positive, uh, even uh, among, like, employees at Facebook. Approval of what Facebook was doing used to be something like 80%. And uh, then the 2016 election happened, and there was were many, many stories about misinformation campaigns and bots and hoaxes, and everyone kind of went, uh-oh, <laughs> oh, we made a powder keg, whoopsie doopsie. So coming into this election, there was a lot of focus on how the platforms would handle that. Would there be another Russian misinformation campaign? <laughs> Um, and they took, they've been taking steps all year, as we've covered on this show, to kind of handle this situation with Twitter labeling tweets that contained false information, uh, Facebook taking measures, basically saying, like, nobody's going to be able to post that they won the election until the votes are counted, uh, and suspending advertising for the week of the election. Noise. Uh, and as of this recording, I want to say it seems that mostly Things have not caught fire. Um, and I want to talk about some of the ways that the different platforms decided to handle our current situation, which is a limbo of votes <laughs> being yep. counted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, w- I want to I want to talk about this and I want to hear like your perspective. But just from my kind of observations, or my first thought is, and I'm curious about your perspective on this. I agree that things mostly haven't caught on fire, but I wonder if we've become so desensitized to the horror that happened and has happened that it's like damning with faint praise. Like we're almost giving the platforms Mm. too much credit. Like, oh, things didn't go terribly wrong and wasn't overrun with the misinformation. Therefore, things went well. You know what I mean? Mm. Like what's what's your your perspective on that? I know I I would say 
that I kind of do want to give them the credit this time just because <sighs> them taking proactive steps to counter misinformation is a win because the misinformation is going to be there. It, people are going to try to spread misinformation. Like that is an incontrovertible fact. So sure. the fact that they seemingly prepared and developed or some of them developed flexible solutions for handling that to me uh -huh. is a win. I don't think it's like a hundred percent like, yay, we stomped out all the misinformation. Uh, Cause I have read that there were, uh, there was information about uh, Philadelphia <sighs> results like being fraudulent or something. Pennsylvania is a freaking mess y'all. Um, however, I will say that uh, from what I have read uh, in this story on Axios, misinformation, there there is a, a venue of misinformation. And this year, the big one is robocalls and private chat apps, which, of course, Facebook does have a hand in because WhatsApp exists. Um, but WeChat was also a, uh, a vector for misinformation towards Chinese American voters. So and then obviously, uh, for the Trump campaign, apparently he did like blast out to his supporters phones via text message. Hey, <laughs> election fraud. So misinformation has certainly not been stamped out. However, it is I think I can say 100% that companies or uh, platforms like Facebook, specifically Facebook and Twitter did learn a hard lesson and and took i think the right steps to counter it yeah no i'd agree with that and and, and we should we should get into i guess what the individual platforms did themselves oh, yeah. the nitty-gritty so currently uh instagram and facebook have banners that say votes are being counted uh they say the winner of the 2020 u.s presidential election has not been projected yet see more updates and learn what to expect as the election process continues um, and Twitter also has a banner. Um, I do not want to <laughs> specifically like fully praise Instagram because apparently yesterday they had a, there was cash a cash error, <laughs> right? That uh, meant they had a banner on up on Tuesday, which was election day, announcing that election day was tomorrow, which is not yeah. great. <laughs> it's it's not great, but at the same time, I have to think that a that was probably a pretty small number of mm -hmm. of people who saw that, and b being a, a technology person, I'm not sure, like, the the joke with IT is that it's always DNS's fault. And this is one of those instances where this would absolutely be a DNS issue. And I don't know how you can solve this. Like, I don't think yeah. that there's anything that they could do to prevent this. And I think that they probably tried to reset the caching as quickly as they could. But depending on what ISPs people are on and what their DNS servers are doing, if they're pulling cached copies of stuff because you have to use CDNs and you have to use caching servers, you mm. know, with these networks, you can't not have it. Um, I think that this is just going to be one of those realities. I mean, I think that the the only thing that you could maybe say is that you could be more emphatic in your banners by stating the day the yeah. election day is. Yeah. But I don't think that there's anything we, you can do realistically to prevent the possibility of, of election issues, of, not election issues, of caching issues. This might be one of those places where I, as you were saying earlier, do you think we're just kind of like in, immune to it at this point? This might be one of the places where I might be immune to it because for it, it is not good. As you say, it is also uncontrollable. And then also I think it would be very difficult to 
only have Instagram as your venue for realizing that it was election day. So, right. yeah, I, I don't want to let them off the off the hook, but I'm kind of like, oh, well, compared to foreign interference in our election, this is fine. Um, <laughs> so, right. in and, a sense, and, and, you are and, right. And, I am kind of like a uh, frog in well, a pot of boiling water. And, and, I, and I'm doing the same thing because I'm defending them even more than you are, because I do wonder, like, is there any situation where Instagram could have won in this case? Because mm. if they didn't have a banner, then people would be mad that they didn't have a banner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think your solution of saying the actual date does get around that issue. Yeah. No. And I I think so, too. Maybe that's what they could do in the future. So uh, so so Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, you know, have have banners up, um, uh, putting the hosting things aside. I will say just briefly on the wording that they that Facebook and Instagram use. I, I I like it quite a bit. I think saying that it has not been projected yet is very even though I, I think in a literal sense, people are projecting the results. Uh, I very much like that they are really playing it safe with that wording. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, I think that the exact uh, phrase is the winner of the 2020 presidential election has not been projected yet. See more updates and learn more to what what to expect here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really solid. I agree with that. Um, so so that's that's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes, actually, one more thing about Facebook and Instagram. Sorry. And then I promise I will. And one, another thing about Twitter and then I'll be done and then we can move on to YouTube. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Uh, so Facebook and Instagram also made it a policy to apply uh, the same banner. The uh, election results have not been projected yet banner to anyone who declared premature election results. So that banner would appear uh, like as a label on the post. Um, and then Twitter was also very responsive with turning off retweets and adding labels, um, again, saying like, hey, it's not done yet. Votes are still being counted to many tweets, including many from Trump uh, declaring premature victory. And they also apparently suspended a bunch of spam accounts that were like creating fake AP stories saying that Biden had won. So they were very busy. <laughs> they they were proactive in their their prevention measures, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and I think that that's the correct thing to do. And uh, I was glad to see that. And I will say, again, without wanting to kind of give them a pass too much, I think this is we should give them some credit. Like this is a lot more thoughtful than um, I think that some would argue that that these platforms have to be. Yes, because there's a difference between actively allowing misinformation to spread and being thoughtful about the messages you put out and like being factual in in what the messages are. Yes, and I like that it is a system that is flexible enough that it could it could develop throughout the night and like could apply to different people and public figures versus normal people um and it it clearly showed that this was not just a like ah let's set our election labels and call it a day guys like it was clearly an ongoing effort and is is even now as we record an ongoing effort to just make sure that everything stays fine (laughs) um do you want to tell us what youtube did oh boy well, YouTube, I think uh, uh, Casey Newton said it well in, in his platformer newsletter about how they kind of, uh, you know, how YouTube got played on Election Day. And um, his subheading is Facebook and Twitter planned for the actual threat YouTube didn't. And I, th- I think that that uh, is, is pretty accurate. Um, you know, A, YouTube had 
uh, a big banner ad for the Trump campaign that the Trump campaign bought for for YouTube. So if you're not a YouTube premium uh, subscriber, as I am, and and so I don't even see ads. So you know, for me, it was kind of a foreign thing. I had to like view things in incognito or whatever. That was blasted all over the front, you know, page of YouTube. And and look, that is that is the Trump campaign's right to be able to buy advertising there. I think that is fine uh, to do that. Although I do feel like for things like this, maybe. The platform should like question, should we allow this sort of thing? Should should we want to take part in that? And actually, YouTube has now announced that going forward, they will be phasing those ads out and will not allow it um, based on the criticism. But it's it's at that point, it's kind of like too late. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and the the other thing is, is that they've, you know, over the years um, been uh, doing what they can to not have um, like recommend conspiracy theory content. But that doesn't mean that they're not still promoting other content from other sources that might be inaccurate, including um, OAN, um, the the One American News Network, uh, had you know basically is running a video that says that Donald Trump has already you know won re-election, uh, which is j- just factually incorrect and is yep. not true. And rather than taking the video down, YouTube is simply being like, okay, well we'll take away their AdSense revenue. Uh, and 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 we'll put we'll, we'll, we'll put a you know a a, a a thing on it a little Chiron that says that this is incorrect. To me, that completely goes against their other policies that they've enacted over the last few months about incorrect content and about spreading false stuff, where they have actively taken things out. And to me, actually, kind of makes a mockery of it and goes, okay, this is really arbitrary, and it's just about what is politically expedient for YouTube and what. They, you know, um, are, are willing to do or feel like they're forced to do to get, you know, the, the the government off their backs. But they're not actually serious about having any substantive policy changes because there's no way you can look at how they handle basically identical situations of video content. And some of it will be allowed and some of it won't be. And it seems like the, the only difference is that one is nominally uh, a cable network that has a very small reach if we're being totally candid, like in, you know, on, on cable broadcast and, and and the backing of, of of a billionaire. And the other is like fringe content from nobody's, uh, you know, who who are, are, are you know, digital first YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like Steven Crowder did a broadcast with fake election results that got millions of views. And of course, while it was originally up, was still getting ad revenue, which is just like, ugh. And I think for me, what really stands out is the wording that YouTube employed. Like we were talking about Facebook and Instagram saying there is no projected winner. YouTube's wording uh, on the front page, uh, sorry, on Trump's uh, YouTube page and the videos is results may not be final, which is a very like set it and go phrasing. Like we know they're not final. They're not going to be final because they're still being counted now. They're probably going to be counted tomorrow. And once they're counted, there's going to be a, they're going to be contested. We know this. And as uh, Casey Newton pointed out, Trump literally has been saying for months like, yo, I'm not going to concede. And I'm definitely going to say that I've won no matter what. And that's why like <laughs> Facebook and Instagram and Twitter heard that and were like, Oh, dope. We'll prepare. (laughs) And YouTube has taken this very much like boilerplate um, 
and inflexible method of dealing with misinformation. And again, like has left these videos like Stephen Crowder's with 3 million views Mm -hmm. on the platform, which is not helpful. (laughs) No. And and it's also not helpful when you remove it after it's over and after it's been reported, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's it, and it, I don't know, to me, it just feels like there's a different set of rules and I would almost be more comfortable. And I, I've kind of made this comment on, on the podcast before because I tend to be more on the kind of free speech at, at, at almost all costs person and, and definitely more in like the civil liberties camp. And, and my feeling on this is almost if you're not going to implement your policies evenly and correctly, then I would rather you not have the policies because mm-hmm. it just makes a mockery of the whole system. Like if you're not going to actually be consistent about what you enforce, then I would rather you not have anything and stop pretending, like stop lying to us that you actually care and just be open about the fact that you feel that your legal position is that you're a platform and you don't have to have any editorial oversight and you don't care. And and mm-hmm. if that's honestly your take, fine. Um the problem is, is that when YouTube does that, they then have to deal with advertiser backlash. And that's the only reason that they actually care, right? Yeah. They care about two things, getting advertiser backlash or and presumptively getting, um, you know, like federal backlash, like like getting getting the, the government involved in terms of oversight. They don't care about anything else. They don't care about what you say or I say or Casey Newton says. They don't care about the criticism. Yeah. They don't care about what their users say. They don't. They just care about, like, is this going to affect our bottom line? And can we get away with this? <laughs> right. And, and to me, if that's really the truth, I would almost rather them just be honest about that. Be like, well, if our advertisers complain enough, we'll ta- we'll deal with it. But otherwise, we just don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I would I would rather have the transparency and honesty than them doing all this mealy mouth stuff where, oh, we have community guidelines and we'll take down this content for this reason because maybe it's objectionable. But we're going to let this other content stay up after it gets, you know, you know, these live streams that they get three and a half million yeah, our big you know, users, views. our big <laughs> users. Get, we're going to protect, I mean, we're gonna protect so them. True. This is so true of YouTube. Like for all time, this has been true that their biggest users can get away with whatever they want. And that is exactly what happened with Shane Dawson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the People who have a lot of influence, who bring a lot of eyes to the platform, who make all of that ad revenue, get a pass on YouTube. And it really sucks. Yeah. And and honestly, there but yet there are cases where they will kind of come down on people who are the bigger things because the advertisers complain. And that's mm. really the only way that they yep. will take any action. Right. Um, like like like, you know, like they did that with PewDiePie and, and they eventually did that with Steven Crowder because they were getting complaints. But other than that, like they don't care. And And I'm looking I don't know if if Steven Crowder's stream is still up. Yeah. Um, if, if the one he's talking about, let me see if I can find the link um so the live election 2020 uh stream which was seven and a half hours long uh, um it has 8.238 million views <laughs> what seven hours yeah. you said uh-huh oh my god that's simply far too long it, it's far too long and it, it, it was streamed um 18 hours ago it's in 8.2 million views and to put that in perspective <laughs> he has another one that that he streamed um four hours ago that has um uh Four million views. That's the one that Kevin Ugh. Roos was talking about. So that one is now up to over four million views. So it's gone up since just, you know, when we first saw this. So we're talking about, you know, 12.2 million views o- over the last 18 hours of, and, of content. And those videos are still up. And, and to put yeah. that in perspective, those are those are broadcast television numbers. Those are cable news, uh, 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 like 
capable numbers, like like 8.2 million viewers is in the realm of, of 8.2 million viewers is, and, and obviously the way that YouTube ranks a viewer and how Nielsen ranks a viewer are different. But but that's getting within like that's I mean I I think that I would need to check the latest results I feel I feel fairly confident saying I think that's better than MSNBC mm-hmm. for instance I, I like I feel like that's more than MSNBC and the thing about this that I think bothers me like going thinking back to the PewDiePie situation PewDiePie got in trouble in hot water with YouTube in a time when he was being written up in like the Wall Street Journal. Right. For being a bad actor. Like he was he was getting very much mainstream, as you rightly said, advertiser attention as like, oh, this guy's bad. Oh, shoot, we should do something. Um, uh-huh. And yes, Stephen Crowder has gotten negative attention as well. But um, maybe <laughs> maybe there should be more negative attention on these bad actors on YouTube and YouTube will actually care about what's happening on its platform. Yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm just I'm just gonna note this. This is according to to deadline. This is as of this morning, and this is the the overnight ratings. Um, that um, at least in terms of so CNN had um, uh, so so Fox News had had the most uh, viewers for their primetime coverage of the election. They had thirteen point seven million viewers. CNN had nine point one. MSNBC had seven point three million. Uh, ABC six point one million. NBC five point six million. What what that means though is that Stephen Crowder's live stream was third to CNN if we're looking at that yep, ranking. That's smack dab in the middle. <laughs> and, and and so and and significantly higher um you know about 700 about a million almost a million uh, more viewers than MSNBC. That's a problem because to me you know and and this is this is a french person. I would not consider him a mainstream person. Yet he's getting main he's getting more viewers than than a mainstream cable network. So I feel like YouTube pretending at like I, I'm kind of tired of of the general response to YouTube being like oh well it's just YouTube it's like right it's just YouTube but guess what they command a bigger mm-hmm. portion mm-hmm. of the viewership than we might be wanting to give them and they don't have the same standards that broadcast does or that cable does and 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 um we need to I think as a culture contend with what that means mm-hmm mm-hmm a uh, final nitpick, totally agree, about YouTube. The box saying re- results might not be final if you clicked on it sent people to Google with a Google's autofill Google search being like, oh, re- re- election results 2020. Um, and great brand synergy, guys. Love what you're working with there. But again, absolutely the laziest way. Like, like that almost offends me more that they didn't do their own legwork. Of, right. Uh, in, in, they're just like, oh, yes, let's foist it off on our our parent company. Yeah. No, I mean, and the thing <laughs> Let is, me Google it, that for you. And, and is it does it literally just go to a Google result or does it go to Google's actual like, I don't know if Google's team actually has an election team where they've been tabulating the data or not. Does it literally just go to an election result? I believe what I read was that it brings up links to sources like AP, which, yes, good. Um but it it literally is just like a fill search box with um, I'm paraphrasing I don't know the exact wording but election U S election results yeah and, and and that's sort of disappointing so I use the the Microsoft Edge browser as my as my browser most of the time and yeah disclosure I do work at Microsoft but it's it's based on Chrome and I, I use it instead of Chrome now and what's interesting is that so on my like new tab page I have you know like 
a, a, a search thing goes to Bing. I don't use Bing for search. I just use, I use Google. But it also has like my most visited links, the weather. And then if I scroll down, it has like new stuff. And the thing in my feed, the very top, is an election thing, but the map and everything they have pulled in. So it's aggregated, but it's, it is, is being pulled in from the Associated Press is being pulled in from other stuff. And it's like, there have been professionals who are working on, um, on, on MSN's election 2020 page who are actively working. You can tell to kind of like hand curate this sort of thing. And, and, I would hope that that would be what what Google's doing, but like that feels to me like there's more there's more effort. It yes, it takes you to a Google search for election results hashtag election twenty twenty, um, and it pulls up the live results widget. Um, so like yes, but it still just does not sit right with me, especially with the wording and especially with the like. Why don't you leave our site? And go read maybe a news a news source that you don't think is credible. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I'm looking at this now because this is actually also on Google's main homepage at the bottom of the, you know, um, underneath the Google search and I'm feeling lucky buttons is a get real time election results. And it is literally just a search history thing. And yeah, and the widget is fine. It's it's pulling in the, the AP data, which is the correct uh, data to, to pull in, I, w- I would assume. Mm-hmm. But um, but, but, but then it goes beyond that, you know, below that, like you see all this other stuff. Um, and also just one final thing. I, so I found that by searching for Trump on YouTube, it is not showing up on my YouTube homepage at all. So it's, it's only if you are looking for election coverage, which I, I personally, I feel like it should be because I am seeing election videos on my homepage. I have the ABC news stream. That's uh, recommended to me that's election results live, but I'm not seeing that widget here. And I just, no, I'm not yeah. either. I'm not either. And, and the only way I see it and the way that it's done is the same sort of like, um, you know, pop up that they have like for coronavirus or other misinformation mm-hmm. is one of those info boxes that also I think, and this is an interesting UX sort of thing that you have to kind of figure out, like, is this something where, um, people are we're we've just people become desensitized to and don't pay any attention to like i'm, I'm yeah. curious about how effective it actually is like and what's bothersome is if you go to trending um or if you go to news it shows you like the the like the live streams and some of the pre-recorded videos from um a period of time but it doesn't have a link to that oh, and that's God. a problem oh my okay i just went to my trending and the first result is the fox news so 2020 same. election results yeah and then nbc Mm-hmm. And then Charlie Demelio gets a Mondo makeover. Yep, that's exactly what mine shows me as well. <laughs> and and uh, and then BBC News. But yeah, real real glad to know that Charlie Demelio. Who freaking cares, man? Like I do, I don't care. I, mean, I like, would I, rather that be trending on YouTube right now, considering everything we've just said about how bad a job they're doing. I mean, I I don't disagree, but I'm also just like I. You know, (laughs) there are a few things that I care less about than TikTokers. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I I care less about TikTokers than I did about Vine stars. And I really didn't care about Vine stars. And like TikTokers, I really don't care about. I think my final thought on this is that like YouTube really, their approach, we've, we've been crapping all over it. In a normal year, I would say, oh, this is not bad, but it's not a normal year. And I don't think we're ever going to, considering how divided our country is, I don't think we're going to have a normal year again. Um, What does that even mean? So platforms like YouTube need to do more. They need to not just take this sort of hands-off, like cut and dry approach to 
dealing with misinformation and this isn't like the worst thing that's ever happened this isn't russian meddling but it's just like no. it's not great you didn't no, do a and, good job <laughs> well what bothers me too is i mean and this is just changing nature of, of i guess you know youtube's priorities but i remember in 2012 like youtube was really trying to be a big player and be taken seriously as a platform you know they hosted one of the presidential debates like they were the actual like sponsor right mm. and 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 you know they, they've tried to kind of get more into that realm and it just seems like that is no longer something they care anything about. Yeah. The final thing I want to say, and I think this is interesting to kind of compare, and I do feel like at least, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram kind of took this to heart. But, but I also feel like when we're talking about the mainstream, you know, news outlets and we're talking about like the, the, the fringe ones that arguably have as much of a reach, one thing that struck me watching cable news coverage last night was that there was more consideration and more measuredness and more like, of a of a in years past it, there's very much been a rush to let's let's call this let's come to what this is and let's make predictions mm-hmm. this was the most like i guess what's the term i'm looking for like you could like the anchors were very deliberately holding back and okay. were not going down that line which i thought was actually really important especially given the the nature of how people voted this year and given how close this is, right? Like the, the, there were opportunities where in years past when a certain number of votes would have come in where it would have either been called or if not officially called, it would have been with all the pundits being talked about as it was a, as if it was a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was very much not the case. I didn't watch Fox last night, but at least on ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, that was definitely the approach they were taking. And I think that that's a good thing. Um, and and I guess that's why I'm bothered even more by YouTube's response because their potential reach for some of their like non-mainstream like mainstream people is as big as the mainstream stuff and isn't having, you know, any sort of journalistic standards or mm-hmm. making any attempts to be measured. And, and, and this is me trying to take any of my own partisanship out of this as much as I can. Um, I'm, I'm obviously yeah. human and I can't do it completely. But even if things were, even if things don't go the way that I want them to go, I feel like just the, the nature of how things were, it's better to be conservative in your approach on how you're going to call things and how you're counting stuff versus the rush that we normally see. Because in years past, because I've been watching election results for as long as I can remember, mm-hmm. there have been times when if you've had 86% of the vote outstanding, we're the, the networks would declare a winner in that mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case. That's, yeah, I think what really, oh my God, no, you know what? This episode of Rocket is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends <laughs> at Smile. Yes. If you're searching for a powerful PDF editing tool for your Mac, iPad, or iPhone, and I know you are, you look are. no further than PDF Pen. Whether you're on the road or at your desk or on your bed or on your couch or at your dining room table or on your living room floor, you need advanced editing features. Or, oh, wow. <laughs> I went off the rails there, folks. I'm on the road. I'm on the train track. Whether you're on the road or at your desk, need advanced editing features or just want to sign and email back a contract from any of the positions that I listed above. PDF Pen has you covered. It is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac, and it now includes even more powerful features like page label support in multiple formats for documents and 
Pro users can go a step farther with the ability to add or edit page labels. These features are in addition to the great features available in PDF Pen 12, including a magnifier window to zoom in on a document, customizable compression settings, and stationery with new paper colors for custom page designs. When was the last time that looking at a PDF made you happy? Hopefully five minutes ago when you were using PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. You can check out the Smile blog for articles on how to take notes on iPad using PDF Pen and the safety of PDF Pen editors. Uh, So this, they're so delightful and they just keep adding new things. And that's good. It's a product that is continually made useful to the people who use it. And that rules. PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone all work together for seamless editing across devices when used with Dropbox or iCloud. You can learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That is smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Our thanks to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and so the, much. Uh, and I, I will I will like second, I guess, the fact that the iPad app is awesome. I use it with my Apple Pencil all the time and legit. So good. Yeah. Um, did I have a final thought on that topic that legitimately lasted 30 to 40 minutes? <laughs> um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say we're calling. We, we, unlike the election, are calling it here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I remembered my thought, but it's not relevant. No, no, say it. It's just, just, just. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that culturally, especially this year, the horse race aspect of it has really, it has stuck in my craw, as it were. And I am pleased to see that, as you said, many of the platforms that I follow or outlets that I follow have made very intentional choices to mitigate some of that language. Um, and I, I, because I think that in, again, in a, in a year when you have two parties separated by some ideological differences and everybody wants the best for people. Okay. Have a, make it a horse race. All right. In a year when you have a party and a president who is ready to be like, hey, stop counting the votes. We're done. I won. And a party that has no platform other than we should win and we'll do whatever we whatever it takes to continue winning. You can't make it a horse race because that's just playing into stoking all of the divisiveness that has been our curse <laughs> for the past uh, over four years. Um, I couldn't pinpoint a point when it like definitely became cemented in our culture, but it's certainly not just been the last four years. So no, that is my final thought on the horse race. And now Christina and Simone quickly discuss prop 22. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to a new topic. <laughs> We're having fun. I have more energy than I thought I would. <laughs> so California passed Prop 22 with 58% of the vote, which means gig drivers uh, do not have to be considered employees. Are They are still considered independent contractors. However, they will get minimum hourly earnings, uh, but none of the other employment benefits that would be included if they were considered full-time employees, such as health insurance or paid sick leaves. 
sick leaves, sick leave, singular. A large part of this story is that in the weeks leading up to the election, Uber and Lyft both use their apps to encourage their users to vote yes on Prop 22, which is a very obvious no-brainer move if you are a rideshare app that wants Prop 22 to pass. Uh, So what they did was they served everyone a pop-up message saying, oh, gosh, if if this doesn't pass, there's going to be longer wait times and higher prices Uh, And also drivers are going to lose their jobs. And to get rid of that pop-up, you as a user would have to tap the confirm message or confirm button on the message to book your ride. Uh, So my general feelings on this are that, damn, (laughs) well played. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely going to be uh, a topic of discussion either in Congress or in future elections because, woo, that power. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, part of me is is like, this goes too far and this is not okay. And then another part of me is kind of like genuinely, well, if this is legal, if this isn't breaking any laws and they have the ability to do this with their platform, I I'm not, I can't fault them. Genuinely, honestly. I do believe like they found the loophole. They found the mm-hmm. little golden ticket. And this is going to be the first and last time that that gets to be used because I feel like any congressperson with their snuff is going to be like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I, although I'm not sure if this is the first time. I think that they've used the app before. Like, I remember in New York City early on, I remember getting alerts about, I think there were certain boats in New York that there might have been things about. So oh, it dear. might not have been the first time they've used this, but I think that it should definitely be yet another reminder that says, hey, yeah, actually, um, we have take all this of seriously. Your, the entire voting base, we have all their phones. And right. And, and and we have a direct in a time relationship when people with them. Are taking less public transit than ever before and using more right. rideshare services. Would you like us to communicate directly with our millions of users after right. spending right. 200 million dollars on like radio and billboards and traditional advertising? Yeah, no, I mean, well and, and that's the thing I was going to I'm going to say, like, honestly, like, I can't be mad at them for doing something that's completely legal for them to do. Right. Like if, if they're allowed to do this uh, and I do think that there are very valid reasons that this should not be allowed. Uh, but mm-hmm. if they're allowed to do this, then I can't fault them for taking advantage of what everyone like uh, doing what they need to do to get their agenda passed. Like, I, I I can't be mad at that. That's um, the thing, dude. And you know, you know how much I hate Uber. You know, I, know. I hate them, but I, they, they didn't. But fair they, is fair. They, yeah, they played the game and they did it better. It, it absolutely sucks. I think the, the margins uh, to which they out earned or out raised money for, mm, they raised so much more money than labor groups who are campaigning for Prop 22 to not pass. Um, And I certainly have a lot of feelings about election spending and campaign spending and all that, all that jazz. Um, But again, like they, for once, unlike their (laughs) labor practices, did everything completely by the book. And uh, this is definitely something that if I, again, were in government and I saw this happen, it would be a a project, a project for my future. Just a little something yeah. to work on. <laughs> no, I think so. I mean, because I, I, I think that there are very valuable questions to ask to say, hey, should the platform that is, you know, at the center of 
a, a vote, should it be allowed to use its platform to spread awareness? I mean, and I think the same could go for for Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or anything else, because you mm-hmm. could see that if if something were to come down to a vote, um, you know, a, a proposition about how Google or or Twitter, or Instagram or, or Microsoft or Amazon or anything like that was going to be used, if those, you know, companies used their platforms to push people towards a certain way, like, I think that a lot of people would be outraged. Uh, mm-hmm. But if it's legal to do it, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I also have to say, <laughs> uh, and and I just, because I've been getting a lot of, you know, um, emails from, because of the causes I donate to from people who were, you know, in who were against Uber in this, I don't think their messaging was very good. I don't think mm. that they had really good answers to a lot of the questions. And I think that this is honestly one of those topics that for me, in addition to the fact that, like, if, if they outplay them, they outplay them. And, and you know, props to that. Like, like game respects game. But I also feel like this is one of those things where the labor groups really didn't have crisp messaging at all and didn't have answers to some questions, which I think are very, very uncomfortable, but are ones that we have to consider, which is if if Uber and, and Lyft were to, forced to classify all drivers as employees and, and you know, pay them unemployment benefits and, and um, you know, mandate, you know, minimum wages, all that stuff. Um, would that substantially reduce the access that people who have come to rely on those services uh, and, and many of them mm-hmm. who are, are, are poor people and people of color? Would that and, and marginalized groups and and people who are, are in areas, regardless of their racial makeup or whatever, who don't have access to, to other things, would this, you know, be a detriment to them? Mm-hmm. And. And I don't think that that those labor groups had a good answer for that. And in fact, I actually was in a conversation with some of those people and I asked those questions. And I was like, look, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I'm a avid labor supporter, but we have to come to terms with the fact that there are a lot of good things that those that the fact that these services exist do that you can't make up with the fact that, oh, we'll just take public transit because you look at a place like Los Angeles which does not have a reliable public transit system, mm-hmm. uh, even even pre-COVID. And it is not accessible for many people at all. And people, if you don't have a car or but because you can't afford it or because, um, you know, you can't drive, you have other issues, your only option is Uber or Lyft. And it can be the difference between people getting to a job, getting to the doctor, getting to what they need and not. Mm-hmm. And and that's a that makes this, I think, topic a lot more difficult to come down on one way or another. Because if the companies are saying, if we enact these things, we won't be able to operate and we won't be able to operate in areas that don't have, you know, as uh, that uh, don't have as, as much demand, that does disenfranchise a lot of people who've become reliant on those services. And and I, I feel like that part of it hasn't been discussed in our own our own discomfort, I think, as a society with what does it mean if for for us to make those decisions on one side or the other and are we comfortable with with having those difficult conversations mm-hmm. i think you're i think you're right and i think that there is no good answer did we do it did we cover this topic i we did we, we covered it we freaking did let's move on to dessert so that we can go back to talking about rebecca yes um this will be a, a quick one uh, regrettably, GameStop is at it again. <gasps> oh, I love this uh, story so much on every level. It's so it's good. It's really great. GameStop recently had an employee conference, uh, part of which was announced a, a TikTok competition for employees, which would have a single winner. 
the winning store or the winner the winners would receive two Amazon Echo devices, a $100 Visa gift card, and 10 additional labor hours for use during the week of Black Friday, which means budget for a store to staff a person for 10 extra hours so that they can work during Black Friday, mm-hmm. which is dystopian. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, this this was hilarious and sad to me. So I used to work in retail. And in fact, my very first job was at um, EB Games, uh, which eventually merged with with GameStop um, and, and took on the, the GameStop name. Although I think ironically, most of the systems, from what I understand it, are actually the EB system. So it was one of those kind of like reverse merger things. <sighs> um and so, you know, this was like my very first job was working in that. And my very first like Black Friday experience was at, you know, in the mall, like back when malls were a thing. Uh, and and I worked at Best Buy for five years and did that Black Friday hellscape, which, uh, you know, zero out of 10 do not recommend um, in, in any capacity. Uh, do not do that. Uh, I, I can't sh- even shop on, in person on Black Friday. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but given like the state of, of GameStop as a company, this is so dystopian, but I also feel like I bet a lot of people were like really excited and really like amped to get this prize, which is really sad. I'm sure that's true. What boggles me most about this is that GameStop in a, a time when they have had unrelentingly terrible press decided to make a contest for employees where the one of the prizes was you get to work more yay right and like yes it's good hours and i'm sure that it's probably like overtime hours too i would imagine potentially potentially um sometimes i think on black friday you get time and a half but i'm not sure like you definitely do on christmas eve and on like new year's day you get time and a half regardless if you're over but i think the bigger thing and this is why they did it it sounds disturbing. It sounds silly to be like, oh, who wants to work more? The reality is, you know, they've been they've been closing stores left and right. They've been laying people off. I've read things on their subreddit uh, over the last few months uh, because I somehow found my way into that. And, and and the GameStop subreddit is mostly GameStop employees. And there are people who are very much in a position who are like managers who are like, I'm not getting enough hours to work. And what happens is, is that they're given, you know, you give, you're given a certain budget of hours. And for many of them, it's one of those things. It's like, I only have enough hours for me to be by myself and I'm going to have to work an eight-hour shift by myself. That means you can't go to the bathroom. Like, that is terrible. Wow. I, I, this makes I've it even that. more dystopian, Christina. Totally. I, I, I agree with you. It does make it more dystopian. But it also, to me, I ne- I, I'm hoping to maybe impress upon, like, why this would be the prize mm-hmm. because it is a big deal. Um, I actually, when I was, like, 17, 16, I don't remember how old I was, I worked a shift i did it a couple times and i remember um we'd opened a store at the mall of georgia uh which uh at the time was like the second biggest mall in america and i didn't work at that store i worked at uh the gwinnett place store uh gwinnett place mall being the the mall the dead mall that was used as the backdrop for the last season of um um stranger things uh, that is my that was my childhood mall and the the site of my very first job. A dead body <laughs> was also found. A dead body was also found there. Uh, yeah, uh, true story. Life, uh, right? Well, no, the dead body was found like recently, like in the last oh. few years. Not 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 because it's a, now basically abandoned. But at one time, it was one of the biggest, like, and busiest malls in um in the state, certainly in the metro area. But um the the mall of Georgia store was super tiny and um. 
even though it was like at this high, like this, this big mall that had all this publicity around it that had a lot of foot traffic, our store did significantly better. But what would happen is we would have to share hours with them mm. sometimes and we'd have to share shifts because they didn't have enough employees. So on, I think, two occasions, I had to work a shift by myself where because I, I, I was what was known as a key holder, even though I technically was too young. That's a whole other <laughs> thing, meaning that I could op- meaning I could open and close the store. So I had a key. I could open and close the store. I would take you know the money t- to the bank, that sort of thing. And so I wasn't a manager because I was hourly and I was 16. But, um, I, you know, I was I was like the next level down. Right. And on more than one occasion, I, I think it was twice I had to work by myself. And it was terrible because, A, it would be totally dead and then it would get really busy. But the worst part was if you had to go to the bathroom, you know, there's open product in the store. So yeah, you, you, have to, you have to close. You have to, like, do one of two things. You have to either hope that you can maybe find another mall employee who can, like, be lookout for you. Or what I think I did was, you know... Um, have everything locked up as much as I could, pull down the damn store thing, um, and then quickly go to Book the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and and it because because there was one in the back room. Go to the bathroom as quickly as possible, and then come back out again, uh, and just hope that that you know nobody you know tried to get in otherwise. But you know that's the reality for a lot of GameStop managers right now mm-hmm. is that they don't have anybody on their shifts, and and their hours are being cut and cut hardcore. So getting ten extra hours could be two extra people to work on Black Friday. So I I understand why why they'd be excited. Well, I mean, the the aspect of this that is single winner, like again, reinforces how yeah. uh, how desperate the situation is. Yeah. One one GameStop employee in the country of America is going to get 10 extra work hours. One. Yeah. And yes, they don't have as many stores as they used to. But still, no, I agree. One single store gets to have gets to have somebody go to the bathroom on Black Friday. Right. Or or have more people in the store. And you have to think like GameStops are going to be crazy Black Friday because um, it's console season. Exactly. Exactly. It's console season. They're going to be having other stuff. And and uh, God, I mean, it's so dystopian. You're exactly right. But yet. You know, if that's your livelihood, um, yeah. like I-, I would be doing everything I could to do it too. But what's really ridiculous is that let's just say that $15 an hour is the base pay. And that's probably not the case. But like that, let's just put that as like the maximum, right? You're basically talking about $1,500 is what this is over, mm-hmm. which is such a ridiculously <sighs> small amount of money Yeah, that it makes me really depressed about everything. Yep. On that note, Christina, what are you doing this week? <sighs> Well, uh, I'm being depressed about everything. Nice. Um, I'm. I'm. Uh, speaking of, of fifteen hundred dollars, and see, this is where I feel like. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to uh, talk myself out of like pandemic anxiety buying laptops. Oh my god! So, because that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, all right. The only thing that states me is uh, like retail therapy. So I'm trying to stop myself from from buying laptops. Uh, Apple is holding an event next week for Apple Silicon. I don't think I'm going to get one of those at first release, but you never know. But so I've been like looking at Windows laptops and I finally had to stop myself yesterday. And I was like, 
you don't actually need this now because I was like trying to decide if I wanted to pull the trigger on a certain laptop or not. And I was like, you don't actually need this now. You you can chill out. Like you're fine. I had to like say that to myself. So I'm going to be talking myself out of buying laptops and um, uh, recording, you know, stuff for for work and uh, also the latest episode of uh, uh, the podcast that I've been doing with the Verizon and uh, uh, T Brand at the New York Times is out. This episode this week is about sports, and I talked to uh, somebody who works as her job. She's it's an awesome job. She's basically like works for the comp- company that like coined the Moneyball stuff. So she's like a, a she's, she's like a sports data analyst and 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 um brilliant lady, uh, Nancy. And I talked to the CIO at the NFL, and I talked to uh, Matthew Ball, who's a uh, um, a VC and analyst, um, all about kind of like what the future of sports looks that like. That must so. have been so fun for you. It really was. <laughs> Unfortunately, we cut out a lot of our best banter about Moneyball because I think they were worried about right stuff. But but Nancy and I had like uh, my favorite question I asked her. I was like, "Who would you like to play you in <laughs> like the 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 inevitable Moneyball sequel about like the stuff that she does?" Yeah. Um. So Aww, so yeah. That's so that was fun. Yeah, so that was fun. So so that's out now. Check that out. But uh, yeah, um, trying to keep my head up and trying to prevent myself from panic buying laptops. I also, I did some uh, retail therapy <laughs> with clothes earlier. I have an update on my iPhone and iPad situation. Oh, yes, so yes, yes. Please, please share with us. I, I would like to publicly announce that I'm stupid. Um, <laughs> oh, Jim just popped into our uh, show uh, show notes, Doc. What's he doing there? We're not done recording yet, man. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> so here's my situation. I was mistaken about being in the upgrades program. Apparently, I messed up when I uh, got my 11. And this is all coming back to me now because I do remember because I did not upgrade from the 8 to the 10 I I kept that phone and I paid that phone off completely. And then I Mm -hmm. just straight up bought a new phone and got a new loan for it. So um, long story short, I messed up. And when I got the, I did it again. When I got the 12, I just opened a new loan. So I was like, wait a minute, I have two loans. This doesn't seem right. And I finally (laughs) called Apple support and I was like, excuse me, what did I do and why am I so dumb? And they were like, you're not dumb. This happens to people all the time. And I was like, "Okay, but I I have I am, though, because I have a tech podcast. Long story (laughs) short, um, because I did not get the 11 through the upgrade program legitimately, I I can get the credit for it and I, I could get the credit and that would kind of balance out the amount I have left on the loan, but not entirely. And I would still be paying off two loans for another 10 gotcha. months. So what I decided to do, I I ended up returning the 12 and I am going to actually just stick with the 11 and then I'm going mm-hmm. to do it freaking right next year. Because I, I, I was in this Apple store. I made an appointment today and I was in there being like, oh, I really do want a new phone but at the end of the day, do I really, 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 really need this? No, I can go another 10 months and just keep using my phone, which works fine. I may actually, I may put a case on it now. I've been going caseless. And now that I know I really have to keep it, I'm like, uh-oh. Um, so that is the decision that I made regarding the iPhone 12. However, okay. as I was in the store, I became recommitted 
to the idea. Getting the iPad. I really want that friggin' iPad. I, I played with it in the store. That thing is mm-hmm. so light. It feels so freaking nice to hold. And I want it. And I realized as I was thinking about it, the only thing that I really use my MacBook, my like my 2015 MacBook Pro, which as you all know, is best deeply beloved by me. I and by everyone. It. And it's by the best everyone. MacBook ever. It's perfect. And they're not going to make it again. Um, so once this machine dies, but the, the, the I use my uh, MacBook Pro provided to me by work uh, right. for video editing. However, my personal MacBook Pro, the 12 or 12 or 13 inch one, I basically use the same way that I would use an iPad. I browse the internet with it. I write on it. The only thing I do on it that I'm not sure I could do on an iPad is plug in my Yeti mic and record this podcast. But I could probably find a workaround for that. Um, so I it, it occurred to me today that in the horrible event that my MacBook dies, I may be looking at a future in which my personal machine is the iPad and the Magic Keyboard because there's not really a reason for me to have a whole laptop for what I do in my personal life outside of work. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Like I definitely like when my you know, I got my mom the the MacBook Air. Um I, I guess it was now two years ago for Christmas. And uh she never uses it. Um and so when I inevitably have to get her another, you know, laptop or whatever, what I'm more than likely going to do is just get her an iPad with a magic keyboard mm-hmm. and have that be her primary thing. And in fact, I I think I'm going to get my dad a new iPad Air for Christmas. Uh, he doesn't listen to this podcast, so he can <laughs> still be surprised. Because um, he he's he's become very um, uh, you know like indebted and and loves um, an older iPad that he uses of my mom's. I might actually just get them both iPad Airs. To be honest, I got my mom one. I think hers is about two years old. Be but fun. I fun, then you could get them like different colors. Exactly. That's what I'm kind of thinking. So I think I'll get them both um, iPad Airs for Christmas, um, actually, now that I'm talking about this. But um, yeah, I think with the Magic Keyboard and with the closer and closer fusion of the two experiences, for a lot of people, that was probably going to be perfect mm-hmm. yeah. and, 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 and is going to be enough. There are still some deficits and there are still some things you can't do. But even in my own life, like I increasingly use my iPad as my kind of meetings device. And ironically, I find it better for for teams and and stuff like that than um, sometimes using you know my actual laptop, so or or even my desktop. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think that that's a good thing. And and you'd asked in our group chat, you'd asked about the Apple Card. If you're approved for it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, especially since you're you're looking at like interest free. Like that's as long as you don't have like any sort of issues with you know, your credit or whatever, and you're young and like, whatever, it's fine. I, I think I love it. I think the concern that I have and uh, listeners, if you haven't tried to buy an iPad Air, the situation is you can pay up front in full, or you can get the Apple card, uh, which I believe I'm on the record as finding creepy on this show. Um, or you mm-hmm. can get the Apple card and pay in monthly installments. And it's something like $59 a month. Um, yeah. I am- and and, it, and, and it's interest free and you get 3% cash back. Yes. And just all kinds of like whenever you buy an Apple product, it's like, oh, thank you. Nice. Um, and you get bonuses for using Apple Pay as well, which I don't use, but maybe I would have had the Apple card. Uh, again, that's why it's creepy. Um, my concern would just be I 
I have a very good credit score, actually, but I have two credit cards already, um, and I am not sure what opening a third one would do. It might help it. It might help it? (laughs) It might actually help it, yeah. Because it would give me more credit or more... Exactly, right. That's the thing, because the thing you want is you want to have like under 30% utilization or whatever, so the more things you have open, like the the better. It would depend on how much they would give you. It's a soft inquiry, so it's not going to be a hard inquiry on your credit score in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you only have two cards, I think it, I don't think it would negatively impact you is what I'm saying. Um, I, it could positively do so, but I don't think it would negatively impact you. And I say this as someone who your credit score is probably better than mine, but I was pretty anti-credit cards for a really long time. Mm. And now um, I, I, I don't carry a balance um, except when like it's an interest-free situation, in which case I'm like, well, that's leaving money on the table because my money can be better utilized yeah. other ways or whatever, uh, or, or or a cash back thing. But um, I've, it's been interesting to see that as I've gotten more cards, like my score has improved. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I did email my financial advisor in in yet another one of my famously terrible emails to my financial advisor um, asking her. And I, I did that today, so I'm still waiting on a response. But that is um, potentially that's good. That is mm-hmm, tempting, very tempting, because it, it really it, it obviously doesn't make a difference technically whether I'm. No, I could, it would make a difference because I would pay for it. If I didn't have the Apple card, I would pay for it all up front with my credit yeah. card. And then I would be paying that full amount in December when right. the rest of my Christmas shopping is also due. So that would be kind yeah, of I a mean, pain in the butt. Right. And I mean, I think the big thing for what I would look at is not so much even like, okay, you have the money and you can do it. But if it is going to be interest free, then that's a good thing. And that means you could choose to pay it off whenever you want, but you could do the monthly plan if you want and and and, and it's and it's interest-free. The other thing I would say is you're gonna get the 3% cash back, which is not negligible. And that actually will go to, to your Apple cash balance, meaning you can cash that out to your bank account. So it, it's not one of those things that you have to okay. use, you know, on your Apple card. You can, but you don't have to. So like that's again also not negligible. Like, you know, so three percent of of um, you know, six hundred or seven hundred or whatever you would wind up spending, that's not a ton of money, but it's it's still, you know, some money. So Well, this is how they get you, isn't it? <laughs> uh it totally is. This is how my this is how my mom wound up getting when she got the iPhone eleven Pro Max last year. She like opened an Apple card and they like gave her this ridiculously high limit. They're and I think it's better now. Originally when they gave me uh, my card, um, I I was approved for an insultingly low amount of money. Oh yeah, like like insulting, like seven hundred and fifty dollars, <gasps> like insulting. Oh, no, um, <laughs> that's not but, even an iPhone. <laughs> no, it's not. And I was like, this is a joke. I I have four American Express cards, two other cards. I'm like, you know, I my my income alone. I'm like, this is actually insulting. But I got it because I was like, I'll I'll use it for Apple purchases. Not that I could even buy anything with it. And then after six months or whatever, I chatted with them and and they raised my limit. I think it's like ten thousand or something now. Okay. Um. So it's it's still, it's still like less than half of of some of my other card limits. 
but um, it's it's significantly better than what it was. Yeah. So, but but I think what happened is when our friend um, uh, David Hiremir Hansen, he went on a rant about how his wife was approved for far less money than he was on, oh. on the Apple Card, and I think that and, and and it turned out it seemed like there was a gendered thing. To be totally <gasps> honest, and I I feel like that's now been fixed. Oh dear. Um, shoot, I had a a question slash thought about that. Um, and it is it completely went from my head with your <laughs> your inflammatory <laughs> statement. Um, I guess I'll just say, stay tuned. Does does Simone submit to temptation and the ease of getting an Apple Card? Probably because I want that freaking iPad. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm just going to say I think it's objectively not a very good credit card, except mm-hmm. when you're buying Apple stuff. Like objectively, like the 1% cash back, you can do better. There are better like cash cards out there and there are cards that have better benefits. It is objectively not a good credit card. But if you're buying Apple products, objectively, I think it is. Like, yeah. And, so, appar- and I am. As we have, as we know, I'm apparently opening loans right and left <laughs> for Apple products. <laughs> so totally. on that note, holy crap. Um, <laughs> we talked up a storm and we didn't we even did. come back to Rebecca, but that's okay. That'll be for another day. Well, well your final thought, just because we've already gone long. Who cares? It was trying to do a Gone Girl thing. I genuinely yeah, it was. So there have been like a couple takes. One take is they're they misread Rebecca and tried to make it a straight romance I think based on the ways that she acted in the final arc and the fact that she's blonde in this and like a bottle blonde which she has no freaking reason to be Lily James I'm talking about I think they were like and we'll make it a gone girl-esque thing where she's like covering up a crime and and she's morally gray and they just completely like tripped like a character in a an ad a late night ad for um i don't know good tupperware or something and spill the tupperware all over the ground that's my take yeah no i'd agree with that and i and i would say like gone girl is another one of those like near perfect movies and great adaptations don't touch and- it <laughs> oh god yeah no i a, i don't think I, yeah exactly like do not touch it like you stay away from that. Although I don't think Jillian Flynn would, would allow that. But uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think it just like, points out, yeah, this was just not a, not a good movie. And uh, yeah. There's not time enough in the world to talk about everything that was just badly done. Um, and for that reason, I will ask again, Christina Warren, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Actually, you've now all learned exactly why I am film underscore girl. Uh, yep. So um, <laughs> you can, uh, but you can find me there and you can find my videos at uh, Microsoft or excuse me, at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer and uh, listen to uh, Networks, the 5G Future podcast. And that's me. Hey, you can find me on haha YouTube, a platform that I just spent about half an hour crapping all over at mm-hmm. youtube.com slash polygon. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. I will probably be back on Twitter by the end of the week. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we've been streaming on Twitch. Uh, the Polygon crew has been streaming on Fridays at around 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can follow Polygon on Twitch or you can just follow me on Twitter and I usually tweet about it. So if I do tweet this week, it's just going to be about the stream that we are probably doing on Friday. If all, (laughs) if we're all in a good mental place, which eh, so far, um, 
Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Uh, We'll be back with Bree next week. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or a star rating. Both would be grand. And that helps other people find the show, too. And then they can join us in complaining about Rebecca (laughs) and YouTube. The two favorite things that I do. Thank you so much, everyone. My mouth is almost completely dry. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated.